There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. G'day folks and welcome to the Encounters Down Under podcast. I'm your host Anthony Goodall and I invite guests to the show to share their amazing encounters with aliens and UFOs. If you or someone you know has had an encounter down under or anywhere in the world for our new segment Encounters Unbound, please get in touch with me via the Encounters Down Under Facebook page or email at australianufosightings at outlook.com.au. Be sure to join the Encounters Down Under Facebook page and YouTube channel where you can also get involved during the live stream interviews, sharing your thoughts and opinions during the live show. Also, if you enjoyed the podcast, don't forget to give us a rating or review on your favorite listening platform. But anyway, that's enough from me. Let's get into what you've been waiting for. Kick back and relax with your favorite beverage and enjoy the show. This episode is available to view on our YouTube channel, so be sure to like and subscribe to the channel and leave a comment with your thoughts on the episode. G'day folks and welcome back to a brand new season of Encounters Down Under. I'd just like to say a massive thank you to all my guests for coming on the show and sharing your amazing encounters. It was an absolute pleasure talking to you all and discussing this strange topic that is the unknown. Also, a big thank you to all my listeners for supporting and tuning into the show. I can't appreciate you all enough. I look forward to bringing you some more content in the future. So a big thank you once again to everyone. G'day, folks, and welcome back to another episode of Encounters Den Under. Grant Levac joins us back on the podcast to discuss Australia's continuous denial acknowledging UOPs and to see where Grant's inquiries have taken him thus far. If you haven't been following Grant, he has been working hard over the years trying to get Australia to be involved with the UOP investigations. So please welcome to the show, Grant. G'day, mate. How are you going? G'day. Happy New Year to you, my friend. Mate, it's great having you. Happy New Year to you too, yeah, mate. I hope you uh, had a good year. Good Christmas. I did. I did. It's, uh, it, was, it was good to recharge the batteries for a few weeks. I had a, about two and a half weeks off work. So good to uh, unwind, unplug and, and recharge. So um, yeah, back at, back at it. Looking forward to a uh, a bigger and brighter year than uh, 2023. So, but um, yeah, it's good to be back on with you. So, thanks, thanks for having me on. No, that's great, mate. Look, it's great to have you on, mate. It's been a while since I've uh, well, been meaning to get you on there for a while now to go and get refreshed on what's going on in regards to Australia's sort of involvement or lack of, you know, when it comes to the UAP UFO sort of topic here, and sort of see where you like, you know, if you're doing a bit of investigations as well, you're doing the stuff, little documentary there on regarding Westall. Um, so you've been busy like over the past what year so yeah it's, it's been a 
it's been a busy last um well i mean like a lot of folks you know when covid uh particularly those are in melbourne i mean we we had some of the harshest lockdowns uh on the planet and um you know throughout covid so many of us just soaked up um the topic as much we could and you know i said before i tried to learn as much as i could from as many as i could and and uh yeah in 2023 um was able to 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 provide share a lot of updates with uh with those that um you know uh find my youtube channel and content of interest uh and put together a little documentary as well i was able to get down to um uh, the uh, a reunion event, witness reunion event for uh, the Westall Flying Saucer incident uh, in April of last year, and uh, was a uh, number of the the all the primary witnesses that were there. A small number of them were very generous in giving in their time and, and happy to go on camera. And I was able to just record them uh, in long form interview format just on my iPhone, and then kind of cut it all together, edit it all together for a nice uh, documentary that's shy of ninety minutes. So. Uh, so that was one of the highlights of my 2023 was uh, to, to to meet the, the Westall witnesses as well as get on site at uh, the Grange where that famous incident from the 6th of April 1966 happened. Yeah, because like, it would have been quite an emotional sort of event returning there. You know, I know they do it every year, basically, but I'm sure like yeah. every time they come back there, it's going to be quite an emotional ride for them, like, knowing that there's nothing there to go and back up their story. And I didn't know about the event. It was Shane Ryan who I'd connected with. You know, Shane Ryan's one of the, I guess, lead researchers on the Westall case for so many years now. And he told me about uh, this annual reunion event that the witnesses have. And throughout COVID, COVID that obviously put a bit of a spanner in the works for them. And the, the event went on hiatus. So April of last year was the, the first time they had it in a few years. And I really, um, you know, I obviously really appreciated them sharing their recollections and stories and memories of the day. But I think I, I gathered from those that were there, they also really look forward to it because it's a chance to uh, not just, you know, get together and the camaraderie of being all there, folks that shared such a impactful event in their lives, but also uh, keep the memories alive, you know, keep the, keep the recollections fresh because, you know, it's now 58 years after the Westall incident happened. And, you, you know, I mean, I can't remember what I did yesterday for most <laughs> most of the time. So trying to remember what happened 58 years ago, I imagine, can be a bit of a challenge. So I, I, I believe it's a, a good opportunity for them to not just to get together and, and you know, have a, have a bit of a high five and a hug, and uh, but also share their memories of the day and, and talk about the ongoing uh, evidence or the, the, the ongoing um you know, information that comes out because I know Shane Ryan is always on the search for more information, uncovering more witnesses. So I think it's an opportunity for them to um, to keep apprised of any new developments in the Westall case and and so on. So it was, it was a really good event. Anyone that lives in Melbourne, and I know there's uh, you know a couple in the live chat. Uh, if they if they do it this year, it's it's a really uh, really good event to to go along to. It's open to the general public. There's no charge, obviously. It's free of charge. It's very informal. Some people take their, their own picnic lunch with them. And just a chance to get to know the witnesses and, and share, not just hear from them, but share um, you know, stories that you may have and experiences that you may have as well. So I would certainly uh, encourage anyone that's interested to learn more about the Westall case uh, or just to hear from um, you know, like-minded people that take the topic seriously. Uh, yeah, get along to it if you're interested. Yeah, I'm hoping to get down there one year and do my own little bits and pieces over it and 
whatnot. <laughs> you know, I yeah. won't match up to your little docker you did there, but I'm sure I'll crib and crack. <laughs> well, yeah, so look, Shane, it's, it's Shane cool. Ryan, um, just and just for anyone that's in, interested, Shane Ryan has a, a Facebook group that is, I think is called, um, it's just called the Westall Flying Saucer Incident, face, uh, Incident Facebook group. I think it's a private group. You kind of have to be permitted in to avoid trolls and bots and so on. But um, yeah, if you want yeah. to learn more about not just the reunion event, but the case in general, it's a really good uh, group and uh, and resource. Yeah, that's wonderful. Um, so look, you've done something recently, just before the end of the year there, if I recall, uh, regarding, um, was it not Aero? Was it Aero? No, it is Aero. So I guess a refreshment. I'm really going mind blank here now. <laughs> um, uh, the, the Australian, the Americans, I think, is it? That's not Aero. Um, you might be, re- um, I, I suspect you're, yeah, you might be referring to, so in, in May of last year, uh, Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick, when he was, Speaking publicly at uh, you know, NASA's um, UAP Independent Study Team public meeting, he revealed to the world that this is in May of last year that he had just held um, his, being RO, the All Domain Anomaly Resolution Officer, the the Pentagon's you know, UFO investigatory body. Uh, he had just hosted the uh, inaugural Five Eyes Forum on UAP and. For folks in the audience that might not know what the Five Eyes are, that's a an intelligence alliance across five countries, the United States, Canada, the UK, Australia, and New Zealand. Uh, and so when I heard that for the first time from Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick, the now former director of ARA, I was like, oh, that's very interesting. I wonder what, um, what Australia's level of participation or involvement in that, that meeting or briefing was, because really... Anyone that's followed Australia's uh, interest or really lack thereof in the UFO UAP topic uh, in the last couple of years will know that Australia's doing jack all uh, on on the topic. They're really, uh, you know, towing the line of move along, folks. There's nothing to see here. They they haven't acknowledged that a conversation even needs to be had on the UAP topic, despite. Uh, our our closest ally, our US ally and Five Eyes partner, taking UAP incredibly seriously from a national security threat and safety of flight perspective, not just the Pentagon, but also members of Congress. Uh, and they've reiterated that line time and time again now over the last couple of years. And more importantly, that UAP is not isolated to the United States. It's not a North American problem. UAP is a global issue. Uh, and yet Australia... Uh, you know, has buried its head in the sand on this topic, uh, despite what uh, the, the the serious uh, approach that our US ally is taking to to the topic, and that's very frustrating. But that all changed uh, in December uh, of last year. So only really a month ago, uh, I was able to to break some news in an Australian context. Uh, so and to kind of backtrack and set the stage for your your audience. So. May of last year, Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick revealed to the world that he just held this inaugural Five Eyes Forum on UAP, this meeting, this briefing across those Five Eyes member countries on UAP. Uh, Now, subsequent reporting that came out of uh, Defence Scoop in the United States and uh, an investigative journalist in Canada, Daniel Otis, those guys were probing USDOD to try to get a sense as to, well, which which Five Eyes members uh, attended? Did they all attend? Did, not, did some not attend? So Canada, uh, you know, we were able to learn very early on, uh, only a month after that 
Five Eyes Forum event that Canada attended. They had a defense representative attend the Five Eyes Forum on UAP. Uh, and Defense Scoop, the, the great reporting from Brandy Vincent at Defense Scoop, she was able to reveal that a defense representative from New Zealand, the New Zealand Defense Force, had also attended in uh, Washington, D.C. But we didn't know anything about the U.K. and Australia. Uh, and I had and others had reached out to uh, the Australian Department of Defense and the current Minister for Defense, Minister for Defense Richard Miles, to inquire as to what was uh, Australia's level of participation in the Five Eyes Forum. And all we were getting back was just radio silence, basically nothing. I mean, the Air Force responded to me saying that, you know, the Royal Australian Air Force didn't attend the Five Eyes Forum on UAP, but we didn't really know anything else. We didn't know if there's any representation from the Australian Department of Defence. So then fast forward from May, when that Five Eyes Forum uh, on UAP happened, to the 20th of June, where Senator Peter Wish Wilson, the Green Senator for Tasmania, who's been the only senator to date that's taken an interest in this topic in an Australian context and had the courage to ask questions in Parliament, he submitted a question on notice, which is a written question uh, that you know, can be submitted to uh, you know, government agencies, the Australian Department of Defence, because Senator Wish Wilson sits on the He's a participating member for the Senate Estimates Committee for Defence, Foreign Affairs and Trade. So um, he submitted a written question, what's called a question on notice, directed to the Australian Department of Defence with a number of questions. And one of his questions was, uh, did Australia attend the Five Eyes Forum uh, in the United States? Did it attend a United States briefing on UAPs? A month later, on the 19th of July, the Australian Department of Defence responded to Senator Wish Wilson's question on notice and said, responded categorically, um, Australia did not attend a United States briefing on UAPs. So a, a flat categorical denial that Australia had any participation, involvement in that Five Eyes Forum, which was very, very unusual because you would think that Australia being such a close ally of the United States, being in lock, lockstep with, any, with re really every defence initiative that the U.S. spears its, uh, you know, spearheads. Why would Australia not at least want to engage the United States, learn from them uh, about UAP? You know, what learnings could they gain from the U.S.'s, uh, you know, response to the UAP issue thus far? Much like, you know, the Royal Australian Air Force back in February of last year sought uh, information and a briefing from. The United States, courtesy of the, um, the air attaché to the United States in Washington, D.C., on the shoot down of the Chinese spy balloon and those three unidentified aerial objects. So they sought information and a briefing on those events because they represented a national security and safety flight risk. But Australia wouldn't touch the UAP topic, which represented ex exactly the same threat, national security and safety of flight. So fast forward the clock now to the 15th of December, only last month. You know, what's that, a month ago? where the Australian Department of Defence responded to a follow-up series of questions on notice that Senator Wish Wilson had submitted to the Australian Department of Defence, and those questions on notice were submitted on the 2nd of November. And I know that because I actually had a hand in drafting those questions. Uh, you're proposing questions for Senator Wish Wilson's consideration and his office. So I knew which questions were going to be asked. And so that was on the 2nd of November, 15th of December, the Australian Department of Defence responded to, uh, this was the question that I had actually drafted for 
Senator Wish Wilson's uh, consideration. The question was, working on the assumption that what we had been told from the Australian Department of Defence back in July, that Australia did not attend the United States briefing on UAPs, working on the assumption that that information was factual and accurate, the question was to the Australian Department of Defence on the 2nd of November, did the Australian Department of Defence receive an invitation from the US Aldermain Anomaly Resolution Office, ARO, to attend the inaugural Five Eyes Forum on UAP in May 2023, led by ARO Director Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick? The response that came back to that question, the response the Australian Department of Defence gave on the 15th of December was yes. A defence representative at the Australian Embassy in Washington attended. So a complete backflip, a complete 180 on what they had said, what they had responded to Senator Wish Wilson's question on notice back in July. So a, a true what the what the f you know WTF moment. What is going yeah, on? Exactly. You know, is there some real deception being played, and the Australian Department of Defence has lied to a sitting senator and the Australian taxpaying public? And then being kind of caught red-handed with a follow-up question and having to now admit that they did attend? Or is there some other level of catastrophic incompetence going on where, you know, the Australian Department of Defence can't organise a piss-up in a brewery? Um, <laughs> what, what's what's going on? Is it a combination of the two? So, so that's really where we're currently at. We now know that Australia did participate in the Five Eyes Forum on UAP in May of last year. And I've been on a mission since that information was revealed last month to see what information I can request through the Freedom of Information Act uh, to find out, well, who attended, what was the nature of the discussion, what resources and reports and correspondence communications were exchanged prior, during and post-event. So that kind of hopefully brings you and your audience up to speed as to where we're at, but it's it's going to be a very interesting month ahead uh, where the next Senate estimates hearing is, I think, scheduled for February. I doubt Senator Wish Wilson will be able to attend that event, uh, and I can get into why I think that's the case, but I suspect he will have a number of relatively pointed and pertinent questions for the Australian Department of Defences to why did they lie back in July of last year? Why couldn't they get it right and find factual, accurate answers to his questions when he asked them? So that's a long-winded yeah. answer for you, but that's kind of where where we're at. Yeah, it's like a, um, Scottish debunker says in the comments, it's absolutely disgusting. The fact that they've lied to us blankly, saying that we didn't attend, and then it had to take six months for them to come back and go, oh, actually, yeah, no, we did attend. Like, where, yeah. how does it even get to that point? Like, it just also makes you wonder, like, how much is they actually lying to us as well regarding any other questions or, you know, any other well, sort of information we're trying to get out of them? It doesn't instill, I imagine, if you're a sitting senator like Senator Wish Wilson, it doesn't really instill a lot of confidence in you going forward that if you're, if you're, if, if you're a member of a Senate estimates, like Senator Wish Wilson is a participating member, and he's the, the, the Senate estimates committee's mission is to scrutinize taxpayer spending, you know, hard-earned taxpayer dollars on Australian initiatives, projects, and so on, to make sure that there isn't waste, there isn't abuse of taxpayer money. It's going into programs that are de delivering a return on the taxpayer's investment and producing some positive outcomes for Australia more broadly. So it doesn't instill a lot of confidence in a sitting senator to know that, well, they ask a question, 
going forward, are they going to get the correct factual answer answer on other topics? You know, it doesn't really give them a lot of faith that uh, the Australian Department of Defence is going to exercise its due diligence to really, you know, dot dot the I's and cross the T's and uh, come back to him with answers that are accurate in, pertaining to a question that he asked. So I think that's going to be a big part of it um, going forward. And I suspect there will be some coverage on that in the Australian media in the uh, not-too-distant future. Uh, I can't say any more on that, but I suspect that will um, be something that we'll see in the uh, in the months ahead. Yeah, I remember, um, I think you did it uh, maybe a few weeks ago or maybe a month ago. I can't quite remember now when you did it, but you actually even asked if they're going to start bringing in a reporting system um, that now because the US is obviously doing that too. And you got a, a flat-out no. Yeah, so that was the other thing that was uh, significant of last year. So um, in June of, it was probably, yeah, I think it was June of last year or even May of last year, I submitted a petition to the Australian House of Representatives, uh, which anyone can do. You can jump on the Australian Parliament House's website. Uh, just if you search for petitions, you can petition the the Australian House of Representatives on any topic that is important to you. And you know, for me, I wanted the uh, House of Representatives to consider um, conducting a formal review of the uh, you know, Australia's position on UAP, and more importantly, uh, develop, uh, consider Im- implementing an investigatory body that would assess the national security threats and safety of flight risk that UAP pose. So that was the petition. We're able to secure. Um, 759 signatures, which was extremely, uh, you know, I, I was incredibly amazed that we were able to get that many signatures. Uh, and it was accepted by the House of Representatives. Uh, it was then formally submitted to the Australian Minister for Defence, Richard Miles, for review and response. That response finally came back in, uh, I think it was, might have been uh, late November, early December, basically throwing cold water over the entire petition and saying, you know, the Australian Department of, you know, towing the old line, the Australian Department of Defence, um, you know, sees no scientific or other compelling reason to continue to, you know, explore devoting resources to the investigation, reporting or recording of, of UAP. So they really just poured cold water over the uh, over the, the petition, which was um, frustrating, disappointing, not unexpected. I suspected that was going to be the response all along. But the important thing is that's now formally documented uh, with the, the House of Representatives. It's exposed more people in Australian Parliament, members of Parliament, senators, uh, across the UAP topic, and hopefully we'll start to um, you know, get other people in positions of leadership in Australia starting to follow Senator Wish Wilson's lead and ask questions about UAP in Australian context. Because that's, that's all we want. We as Australians want our government, people that we elect into positions of authority and our hard-earned taxpayer dollars, this is, an, this is a topic that's important to us. We take it incredibly seriously. We want the Australian government to acknowledge this as a true phenomenon because the United States has admitted that is a, a real thing. It's a phenomenon that exists. It's not science fiction like the Royal Australian Air Force, members of the Royal Australian Air Force think it is. Um, it's a it's a global issue. It's a national security threat. It's a safety of flight risk. So we as Australians want our government to acknowledge the UAP issue, to get off its ass and investigate it, 
and to uh, try to come to some conclude some to conclude uh, reach some conclusion as to what UAP um, are, you know, what can be yeah, attributed absolutely. to UAP. So yeah. it um, doesn't make sense that the fact that they're saying there's no scientific evidence or in that regarding that you know the American Americans are actually even looking into it, but yet there's not enough compelling reason to go and start investigating it. Yet our nearest ally is doing the exact thing. Like, it does not and, make and, sense and, at all. And look at you look at now the, uh, the the interest that the scientific and academic community is taking on this topic. I mean, you have yeah. obviously Avi Loeb with the Galileo project. You have uh, you know, Dr. Gary Nolan out of Stanford who just had the the Soul Found the inaugural Soul Foundation symposium last year. Uh, you know, you have Diana Walsh Pasolka has now just started a curriculum on UAP, so an educational curriculum on the topic. Uh, and, you know, there are other uh, educational institutions that are following suit as well. So, you, you, you know, why uh, Australia is always so, so late to the party on uh, particularly on this topic um, is, is mind boggling and perplexing. And I think we now know that, you know, Australia has finally entered the ring and is engaged on this topic by way of the Five Eyes Forum on UAP. To what degree their level of interest will be sustained or if it will wane, who knows? That's what I'm trying to uh, continue to uh, to get answers to um, through FOIA and, uh, you know, uh, inquiries to the Minister for Defence and the Royal Australian Air Force and Australian Department of Defence as well. So it'll be interesting to see, uh, you know, where the topic goes for Australia in, in 2024. Yeah, like you mentioned before too, like getting in touch with members of parliament there. And I think it was probably about six months ago that I got in touch with you to help me write out a whole uh, segment for reason there for trying to send them to the members of parliament there. I, I had a crack at them. I went pretty much from all the way from Gold Coast all the way up the whole east coast of Queensland, basically hitting up every single member of parliament there. Um, I got a mostly automated responses. I had a couple of uh, administrations going, hey, yep, look, it's, we're sending it through. You might get a response or not. And that was basically it. Got nothing. Yeah, um, it is extremely frustrating. Like you know, the fact that you're trying to raise something, a concern, especially like when you like you know the whole links and evidence that we try to present to them there. Like you know, we uh, presented Grush's uh, testimonies there, had Ross Coulthard in there as well, some of his links there, so they can actually look into the evidence there, what's being presented to the U.S. Congress and all sort of stuff. And yet they still blatantly ignored the whole attempt to contact them yeah. in regards to that. And it's extremely and frustrating. I, I feel your pain, brother, because it, it is. It's 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 a game of um, you know consistent persistence. Uh, you just have to stay at it. And it's not just you know members of parliament and senators. It's also the news media. Like there was a number of us. Uh, you know w when Ross Coulthard um, did a wonderful in person Q and A event in Melbourne in August of last year, and he did one in, in Sydney in October of last year. I was fortunate to attend both of them. Uh, at the Melbourne event, he, um, you know, he challenged people in the audience that take this topic seriously to write to the Australian legacy media, you know, the ABC, the SBS, you know, seven, nine, ten, uh, and demand that they start taping, taking this topic seriously and asking some hard questions uh, of those that are in positions of leadership and authority in the Australian Department of Defence, because. Yeah, you know, when you turn on Sunrise in the morning or the Today Show or you know, those brekkie shows, they often have pretty sub some pretty significant figures uh, on for for interviews and commentary. They'll often have Albanese, our, our Prime Minister, 
on Sunrise or today. They'll have the Deputy Prime Minister, Minister of Defence, Richard Miles. They'll have politicians on. So they're in a unique position to ask questions of those individuals about the UAP topic. Well, why is Australia not taking the UAP topic, uh, you know, uh, seriously? What what uh, does the Australian Department of Defence consider constitutes a compelling reason that would warrant it to review its position on UAP? You know, these are questions that we as private citizens shouldn't only be asking. It's also those that have a unique and large platform. Uh, they should be asking these questions as well. So I've had this gripe with the Australian legacy media for a while now is that they're just not getting off their ass and exercising a, a shred of journalistic due diligence on this topic. They're simply just copy and paste journalism when something significant happens in the United States, like David Grush, they'll cover it, but they'll have an air of stigma and ridicule about it. And there was a classic example of this only last month. Uh, the, the, the Today Show had, uh, they were talking about um, the the uh, the IC the intelligence community inspect, inspector general's skiff meeting that he was having with members of the House Oversight Committee in the United States, uh, and the Today Show the two presenters had an astrophysicist on uh, who happened to be Matt Agnew, and anyone those Matt Agnew will know that he is Australia's bachelor, the bachelor. So they're having the bachelor come on and provide some commentary about what's going on in the United States and David Grush. And when he actually can't, he can't even uh, you know, articulate correctly or, or um, appropriately characterise David Grush's testimony, he mischaracterised David Grush altogether and said that oh, a whistleblower testified in July of last year and said, oh, yeah, I heard you know, a friend of mine or, or uh, this guy's uncle told me that you know, there's a crash retrieval and reverse engineering thing completely mischaracterizes David Grush's testimony altogether. So I I arced up at um, Today Show and said, you know, thanks for taking the topic seriously, but the next time you need some commentary uh, that is of value to your uh, listeners, please do better than getting the bloody bachelor on and seek out those in the community in Australia that are much well much more well-versed on the topic, like a Bill Chalker, like a Keep That, like a Ross Coulthard, yeah, uh, I'd be prepared to put my hand up. Anyone that knows a little bit more than you know the Bachelor uh, and follows this topic uh, much more diligently than someone that's coming on for um, for for clicks and ratings. Yeah, he's probably just a better looking bloke to go and be the forefront for a UFO topic. You know, that's probably <laughs> about it. <laughs> And look, I, I no, and, and I'm not. Um, I've got nothing against Matt Agu or his profession. Uh, you know, as an astrophysicist, I know that actually only a few days ago there was a similar gripe that Dr. Gary Nolan had against <laughs> another astrophysicist, essentially saying, you know, um, I think an astrophysicist in the US in the US referred to um, many of us that take the topic seriously as UFO enthusiasts, and Dr. Um, Gary Nolan basically said, well, why is it that you know, astrophysicists always feel uh, compelled to talk about the UAP topic when they actually know very little about it. Uh, so, yeah, that that was my gripe with uh, with the media in 2023, and obviously at the end of uh, end of last year. So, um, hopefully, we see a changing of the guard though this year with some more uh, you know uh, you know reporters that put some well-sourced, well-researched and thought-provoking, uh, you know, 
commentary and some articles that really challenges Australia's uh, lack of interest in the topic to date. Yeah, which actually sort of brings me to a question or more of a suggestion. Um, something I've been thinking about for a while now is obviously because Australia's lack of interest in the whole topic at all, I, so, I sort of feel like it's time to actually um, get in the front doorsteps and start protesting, um, get the whole UFO community together and actually, you know, pitchforks and torches and whatnot and get out there and go, you guys need to go pull your fingers out. We're serious about this. This shit's yep. been going on for way too long. We've been lied to, we've been pushed back, you know, pushed into the shadows, and yet we're doing nothing, yet the whole rest of the world is having a crack at this. I think it's time we need to have a go. Look, you, you exercise your um, your right to peaceful protest if you want. Yeah, if you want yeah. to get down to Canberra and you've got a placard or even, I mean, look at in the United States, some of the wonderful reporting that's coming out of the gentleman by the name of um, Matt Laszlo. Um, you know, he's he's waiting in the halls of Capitol Hill in Congress, waiting for these congressmen and women to come out of a meeting or go to a meeting and he'll catch them on the fly and ask them some questions and record it. And you know, he is getting a lot of uh, wonderful sound bites and commentary. Uh, and you know, we're, we're, we're better understanding the positions of these men and women in US Congress because someone like a Matt Laszlo is taking it upon himself as a journalist and someone that's obviously uh, wanting, you know, seeking answers to questions that are important to him and many of us in the community, that's an example of some of the things that you could do. If you are uh, a journalist, you could take that upon yourself, even if you're not a journalist. There's nothing stopping you attending, um, you know, question time at Parliament. And, yeah. you know, you could cause a bit of a peaceful ruckus there if you wanted to get uh, a topic that is important to you noticed uh, or even just, yeah, you know, there are a number of ways that you can try and engage uh, members of parliament and uh, you know, those in government. That's um, peaceful, peaceful, peaceful protest is just one avenue. Uh, you know, if, if you're not having any success with getting on the blower or writing a, a letter or sending a tweet or, um, you know, the snail mail approach, that sort of stuff, uh, if that's not working for you, explore other avenues as well. And, you're trying to trying to get them, uh, you know, to answer a couple of questions face to face. If you're able to to get a few minutes with them, however you're able to get in front of them, go for it. It's worth a shot. Yeah, well, I'd like to use you as an example there of like how your paper trails go on there with the responses there. <laughs> like you know, we're getting bugger all really. So I think it's um it's about that time there where we actually need to just start really um put the hammer down and um you know get some banners yeah. out there and get some people. And I'm thinking. I'll obviously run a bit more by off there there and see if you were keen to sort of help me organise it. Um, I'd be I'll be the first one to put my hand up and say anything that yep. can. Uh, I'll certainly do whatever I can, whenever whenever I can, to advocate for the topic and try and engage those in positions of of leadership in government. So, uh, if yeah. if that's an avenue that you want to explore, I'll certainly be there to um, back you. And sorry? because you're right, it is very frustrating when you know you put a lot of time, energy, and effort to uh, you know stating your case in an email or a letter and then people don't even bother to respond uh, or they do or they do respond with a, a very pithy one or two line sentence which is unfortunately very common for me when i i um religiously try and reach out to the department of defense media team and the deputy prime minister's media team you, there's a, a media email address you can seek a, an official comment from on from them on and 
most times they won't even bother responding. And when they do, it's just a pithy comment that doesn't really even answer your question. So uh, yeah. if that's a, um, uh, you know, a degree of act activism that you want to take it to, I'm, I'm there with you the whole way. Yeah, sweet. That's awesome. Because um, like I'm thinking we'll get everyone in the areas there, go to your capital cities or even your, if it's too far for you to go, go to your um, local members of parliament's front door. Um, basically just trying to get, you know, a whole bunch of activists worldwide, even if we can, try and get that going. Um, I don't know, see how far we get, but we'll like to try and you know, sit sit tight with home first and you know, get Australia on the bandwagon at least. <laughs> start small and then try and reach yeah. out to the rest of the world there, see if they can, if people are going to back us up and start creating their own, um, you know, peaceful protests and get their own, you know, we want the truth out there, basically. That's yeah, you you know, I don't think um you know we don't want to go the route of um of you know going to uh, uh going to uh you know art galleries and <laughs> and throwing uh, red paint on uh, on valuable artwork but I certainly think there is um there is um there is value in coordinating um you know groups of people whether it be in Canberra or at a, or at a state level. Uh, and it doesn't have to be huge groups. It can just be small groups that you yeah. go to your local MP's office and try and schedule a meeting, uh, a sit-down meeting with, uh, with the MP. If you can't, then you can take placards and you can, you know, you can uh, make your case heard by uh, peacefully protesting out the front of their uh, of their registered office. You know, there's a lot of things that you can do to try and get people to take notice. And and to Scottish debunker debunker's point, you know, the fact that um, you know Senator Wish Wilson has um, not had his questions on notice factually and accurately answered back in July of last year. You know, that's something that you could raise as a concern point, a concerning talking point. With a and with your local MP or a senator saying, "Look, um, you know what? What confidence do I, as a taxpayer, have that my government is going to uh, address uh, issues that are important to me if it can't even respond to you know, a senator's question uh, correctly uh, on on this particular topic that's important? I mean, that that opens up the floodgates for so many other people uh, to question." You know, are they getting sincere, genuine answers to um, questions that are important to them, and a whole slew of other topics as well? So that's it. it just it could open up the floodgates. But yeah, I, yeah. I think there is. I, I certainly think there is value in uh, a coordinated approach to try and get in front of the faces of folks in positions of, um, uh, you know, folks in in um, those that we elect in positions of leadership in government. Yeah. I think it's about time. So you know, it's been far too long now. We've just been, yeah, like I said, been thrown the in the shadows. Everyone's been denied absolutely everything there. Basically, like you said before, like we just want some sort of acknowledgement from the Australian government, some sort of interaction or response, and something there to say, hey, look, all right, we are taking this seriously. Um, if we have to, we'll try and you know even get back into reporting and stuff like that. You know, I've got things out there. I'm trying to get a an um. I've got things I can see from work, right, that are flying around, and I want to know what the hell they are. Nothing shows up on the flight radars, anything like that. Um, I can call up the Australian Defence Force, but they're not going to give me any answers there because they will be like, well, who are you? What do you want? What do you know? They're just going to just go, no, we can't tell you anything because blah, 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 national security. They, they, they're, going to, and, they're going to tell you to call the cops because that's the current policy. The policy is, you know, when they cancelled the unusual aerial sightings policy 
when they washed their hands clean of UAP UFO in 1996 and and formally cancelled their policy a number of years later, uh, the the policy now is if a member of the general public or the defence force observes something in the sky that they can't readily identify or reconcile if they see a UAP, call the cops or reach out to your civilian UFO organisation, your MUFON, um, your AUFO, AUFOs, uh, you know, the other, you know, there's also other now uh, technological mechanisms you can use. Enigma Labs has an app that you can use for uh, reporting uh, on your tablet or your smartphone. I don't know if that's isolated just to the United States, though. I'm not too sure on that. But uh, that's the current position of the Royal Australian Air Force, Australian Department of Defence. If you see something, yeah, feel free to say something, but call the cops, which is far from uh, satisfactory. Yeah, because obviously I want to know what the hell they are. You know, they've been they fly around for hours. Um, they look like planes, but obviously there's no navigation lights and nothing that I can sort of identify to go, well, okay, it is a plane, besides the fact that it's lights that might be landing lights. So then I'm like, well, okay, they're obviously not doing the correct flight controls, you know, having navigation lights that should be saying, hey, yes, I am a plane. Um, Whether or not Brisbane knows, I don't know. Like, uh, it's one of those things like, do I bring up the the control uh, radar rooms there, you know, the control towers there and go, hey, can you guys see this? Or is something being reported from your end? They're going, hey, look, we've got things in the airspace here. It's just so many different avenues here where you're like, you want to find out what the answers are. It's like whether or not they know about it or not. Because like obviously the, the national security thing there was, is the uh, defense force know that they're there because from their radars, and do they have any interest to go? Well, we don't know what they are. They're going to take action. What's their response to that? You know, that's what we sort of want. Like if there is things flying around in their airspace and people are seeing these things, what is their response and their action to it? Yeah, and look if and and if you know once you've done your homework, like there are things that I, I've never had my own sighting, but I, I say to people that you know, um, have, you know, I ask them, try and ask as many questions as I can. Did you, uh, you know, did you record the weather conditions, the, you know, the time of day it was, did you look on uh, a flight tracker service, you know, a flight, one of those commercially available flight radars. So you can, you know, um, start to go through your uh, checklist of, you know, we'll start with a prosaic explanation and kind of go from there. And if it wasn't, if there were no, planes uh, being tracked and available on a flight radar service that you can access in the area, then and you still don't know what it is, uh, it emits no sound, no signs of propulsion, you know, not all, but even if it's just one of the five observables, I think that's worthy of, of, um, of saying, well, look, this is something that needs to be taken seriously because what if it was... Even if it wasn't foreign adversarial system, even if it was, if it was a, a drone, uh, a prosumer, a consumer drone, you know, if that was to get in the and it was operating um, in um, you know airspace that had commercial traffic or military traffic or general aviation traffic, and that's just some kid in the backyard that's flying something like that, then there's that's a huge safety of flight risk in itself. If that gets into the flight path of uh, of a plane, then you've got a huge issue. So, I mean, obviously there is drones are a whole issue in them in, in and of themselves, but it's the things that we uh, are truly anom- anomalous that we want to get answers on. And if you see something that you can't readily identify and reconcile, 
it truly puzzles you and you've done your homework to try and you know cross off the uh cross off the list what it isn't what it what it could be but it isn't uh then there should be a mechanism in place there should be some sensible see something say something reporting mechanism in place that affords you as a concerned member of the public to uh to to tell the authorities what you've seen and and ask that it be investigated because they've done it in the past and that was the whole unusual aerial sightings policy they had reporting mechanisms in place and you know we no longer live in 1996 we live in 2024 we live in a very different world where a lot of things have happened in the last number of years that have led uh intelligent men and women in congress uh and former officials of the u.s department of defense to come out and say that uap is a real problem it's a real issue uh that needs to be taken seriously because if and and kudos to uh you know ryan graves and his team with the americans for safe aerospace and the legislation that they have now uh endorsed and that has currently now been proposed uh as a a, a civil aviation uap reporting bill i think it's incredibly important that uh and significant that you've now got uh, legislation that's being proposed that would require commercial pilots and not just pilots but flight attendants uh you know, aviation personnel that if they see a uap uh certainly pilots they're required to report it they have to report it to the faa so they're wanting to implement some sensible see something say something reporting mechanisms that get followed up on get investigated so we can understand we can understand what UAP are, gain a better understanding of the extent of UAP, and uh, put into place some strategy, you know, mitigating strategies that will uh, prevent safety of flight issues like uh, your know, near misses, media collisions, and so on. So, I, I reached out to actually the um, the Civil Aviation Safety Authority, Australia's kind of equivalent of the FAA, CASA, and after this kind of broke. Uh, there's a great uh, a gentleman on on X Twitter, D. Dean Johnson, who does a lot of great reporting from a legislative perspective that comes out of the um, the Congress in the United States. And he was one of the first to report on this new proposed civil aviation UAP reporting bill that's been put forward. And um, you know, once I had and US, USA Today picked up on it, and a number of other the major news outlets in the state started reporting on it. Uh, that this proposed bill has been put forward. So I reached out to Casper and I said, you know, I think I asked them the question, um, if this proposed bill is passed, what are the implications for CASA in the event that a US aircraft operating in Australian airspace that's either inbound or outbound encounters or observes a UAP and has to report it to the FAA? What are the implications for CASA? And two, in light of this legislation, if it does get passed, will CASA commit to conducting a formal review of its current position on UAP and consider implementing uh, some comparable reporting and recording protocols? Because currently, not only does the Australian Department of Defence not have a UAP reporting mechanism in place, neither does the Civil Aviation Safety Authority, CASA, neither does uh, Air Services Australia that look after all of Australia's kind of air traffic control, and neither does the ATSB, the Air Traffic Safety Bureau. There is, you know, there is nothing across any of those agencies pertaining to UAP reporting and recording. 
and it's my hope that if this proposed legislation passes in the US, that you would think that other countries around the world will start to take notice from a civil uh, aviation perspective. And it's my hope that CASA get off their ass and, and take it seriously as well. Unfortunately, they're very much pegged to the Australian Department of Defence. What the Australian Department of Defence does, they'll kind of follow suit. So I think if the uh, the, the defence in Australia started implementing some reporting protocols, I think you would see that flow onto uh, the civil aviation side as well. So again, uh, 2024, interesting to see what, what, what happens. I mean, and this is all of this stuff that we're talking about is completely separate from the David Grush stuff. You know, all of that stuff that's taking place that is so incredibly intriguing and interesting uh, that Congress is trying to get to the bottom of, bottom of Australia is not even ready to acknowledge any of the stuff that, that David Grush is, is claiming or making allegations on. They haven't even acknowledged that UAP is a thing. So they're not in a position to even uh, go down the David Grush path if they haven't even taken on board that UAP is real. It's a true phenomenon. It's not isolated in the United States, and it's a national security and safety of flight risk. So we have to get over that hurdle of first of having the Australian government take the topic seriously before we can then before it can be engaged on um, you know the David Grush and other whistleblower. Uh, claims and allegations, which if the rumors are true, there are some uh, you know, murmurs that there are other whistleblowers that, are, um, that may be coming forward this year. So, uh, and I think that's long overdue. I think poor old you know, David Grush has been standing there on his own for quite a while. So it'd be great if there are some firsthand primary witnesses that can come out of the shadows uh, and, um, and, and stand alongside David Grush, who's championed the effort thus far, and, and back up a lot of the stuff that Dave, David Grush has said. So that's so why I say it's it's a, it's a very interesting year ahead. Yeah, absolutely. And look, I hope that, you know, Australia does come along those lines there. But it's, we mentioned this last time we spoke too. I sort of feel like America has got a lot of power here in control of how much is actually being released, uh, especially from other countries and that, like, we have no reason to be holding back so much, uh, like, you know, what we've been talking about. Uh but yet there seems to be a power at play here. And I'm suspecting America is saying, hey, look, look, we're taking control of this. You guys stand back and you just deny everything that you know. And it seems the same way as too, like the UK, New Zealand, so same. Every other country around the world is sort of holding back a bit, going, we're not really going to release anything. I think uh, it was only Mexico and uh, maybe a little bit of Brazil as well. It might be trying to expose a little bit here or there. It depends on if the Mexican aliens were even real or not. You know, it's... Something's going on here. Like, what's the hell is going on? Why can't countries just come forward with whatever the hell they know? You know, that's, that's mm. the big question that needs to be asked here. Like, why is there such a big holdback? Why they're being so silent about it? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, the Five Eyes Forum on UAP in May of last year is a game changer. So we now know that Australia, the UK, Canada, and New Zealand are engaged with the US on this topic. So what we learn about Australia's involvement, UK, Canada, New Zealand's involvement in the conversation going forward will be interesting. Um, I suspect that one of the reasons why Australia is so... I mean, I think there's two sides to the coin. I think the Australian Department of Defence knows, which is, you know, if you look at the defence services, you've got the Army, the Navy, the Royal Australian Air Force and Defence Space, Space Command, I suspect they know a hell of a lot less than the Australian intelligence community. So ASIO, ASIS, 
the Office of National Intelligence, the Defence Intelligence Organisation, National Geospatial Organisation for Australia. I suspect those intelligence communities know a lot more on UAP than the the defence services do. Um, so, yeah, it, and it's very hard to get anything from the intelligence community because they're all exempt from FOIA. But, you know, to, to Scott's point there, um, he, a few things he mentioned in the chat, you know, Congress is now in a, a unique position where they came out of these 16 members, I think it was, of the House Oversight Committee that attended this um, Intelligence Community Inspector General's SCIF briefing. They came out of that briefing uh, feeling like some of David Grush's claims had a lot more merit to them than they took them to have before. So if you listen to Anna Paulina Luna, Congresswoman Anna Paulina Luna, she's now uh, saying that we're ready to take the next steps and schedule some field hearings in the US where I think they're going to now, they may have heard a couple of names of some defence contractors and facilities that may be involved in the UAP topic uh, and they're going to schedule some field hearings and go on down there and get a few witnesses and whistleblowers at those hearings. So it could be very, very interesting to see what happens out of the uh, the US Congress going forward, what their next steps are with a congressional hearing. Yeah. yeah. So, Which is good. That's fantastic. Look, look, I hope it does work out that way because we definitely need it. Um, yeah. Oh, hey, as, quick as thing. Um, Anthony, let me just mute myself for a sec. My little one's um, crying for a sec. So can you entertain your... Uh, your audience just while I duck away for 30 seconds. So there we go, mate. Yeah, that's all good, mate. Yeah, go I'll, for be it. I'll be back in, I'll be back in 30. Sorry. <laughs> no, worry, mate. You're right. Guys, look, I hope you enjoyed the show so far. Thanks for joining in. A lot in the comments here, guys. It's uh, fantastic. And sorry about my eyes. My eyes look really red. And I've been doing a bit of lawn mowing this afternoon. So yeah, I'm a bit killed from the sun here and I got a bit of uh, probably a bit of heat stroke and head exhaustion going on. So my brain's a bit fried. <laughs> so sorry, guys. We'll look a bit hey, yelling. You probably see a little bit of sunburn there. But look, guys, I hope you enjoyed the show and the content so far. Thanks for so much for getting the comments and um, you know, giving us a bit of a heads up of where you think we're going with all this sort of stuff. And I hope he's gonna back me up on this uh this protest here. I'm gonna go and try and organize it in the next few months. Um, get this thing happening, yeah, Australia wide. Get it really known there, like you know, that we know the truth and we demand the truth. I think it's about time that we actually get there and um, you know, get some sort of involvement from governments. Um, so look, I'm hoping you guys will back me up on that and uh, share it out to everyone there, and we'll, um, you know, we'll try and make something happen. I think it's very well overdue. Um, but yeah, look, guys, um, it's <laughs> it's a lot to take in when you think about it. It's, it's, it's an extremely frustrating topic, and like we know so much is out there, and especially like you know people's claims and of their own encounters and experiences of what they're seeing and such like that. It's like, why deny all these people are coming forward with this sort of stuff, you know? And yet still America, Australia, all these places worldwide still don't acknowledge these things flying around there. Not to mention like all the fake shit that's going through on social media as well. That's extremely frustrating. But regardless of them, all that's crap, you know, the legit people we're talking about, the people that are saying, you know, they're genuine. On the, seeing these sightings, so sorry, mate, oh, you're sorted. My, uh, yeah, she's all good. She just uh, wanted her uh, her water, and it was a bit too far for her to reach. So, yeah, <laughs> fair enough. No, it's good, mate. Look, I was just saying, like you know, it's about time we get uh, governments or Australian government involved. You know, people seeing these things worldwide, 
all these claims of sightings or objects and crafts and whatnot. I think it's, it's well overdue that, you know, the world needs to get on this bandwagon. It's um, well and truly overdue. I agree. And and look, you know, it's it's just so unfortunate that the start of the year kicked off with something that was so ridiculous, like the Miami aliens. Uh, I mean, oh, yes. Just, that blew up for all the wrong reasons. And what I really take issue with, I mean, for anyone that exercises a shred of discernment um, and degree of skepticism on this topic, which we all should do, you should come to this mm. topic with a healthy degree of skepticism, but also have an open mind and know that there are things that we don't fully understand, comprehend. There is anomalous activity that's going on with UAP, but it was just so blatantly obvious so quickly that what was um, proposed as Miami aliens at this mall with this massive police response was just complete. Uh, was farcical. But unfortunately, so many of these, in quotes, uh, influencers and content creators on TikTok ran with it um, to kind of have their their followers turn into a flash mob and just kind of mm. re, you know share and repost and retweet. So what I I find incredibly frustrating is when people out there that have a significant audience, they've got... Um, They've got people that follow their work, but the you know they're an in, they're influencer or a content creator. When they seek to profit from something that they know is demonstrably false or has been proven to be false, that's that's what I take big issue with because yeah. it it unfortunately um, it it pulls us back down the rungs of the ladder it a does. few steps on this topic. Yeah, it it kind of you know we're trying to break down the walls of stigma that have long played this topic and and invite folks in the uh, the general populace that aren't as well versed on it as we are that you know maybe are curious but don't have the same level of understanding or um you know we have have not done the same level of homework that we have maybe on the topic because we we're invested in it um you know something like the miami aliens is not going to bode well with the uh, the masses who aren't engaged on this topic when it's, you know, then shown to be a hoax and people continue to to push it. So that was just a really unfortunate start to the year. Um, but then, you know, thankfully, not too long after that, you had uh, TMZ's uh, three-part series, you know, UFO Revolution that was on Tubi, a little hard mm. to get if you're in Australia, but for anyone that is, you know, a lot of people put shit on Jeremy Corbell and, you know, for good reason um, at times with what they, um, you know, the, the, the content that maybe or the, 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 the information that he puts out. But, I mean, to his credit, he does have, you know, people sharing with him information that is legitimate military footage. So he's definitely getting content and i i think it was and i don't think he's you know he and george napper pushing it as oh it's definitely alien it's like this is what we we've received this is what we're putting out there but um for those that haven't watched tmz's three-part series ufo revolution i actually found it really really uh well done i thought the production value was great for those that don't know the history of the UFO topic, I think it's a really good uh, primer. It's a really good intro to the topic and kind of brings you up to speed relatively quickly over a couple of hours of where we're on, on the topic. Obviously, it has a bit of a, a Jeremy Corbell focus to it, which I found to be interesting. I I, I um, 
you know, I don't have any uh, gripes with what Jeremy and George do. In fact, I think they do. Uh, they, they have helped elevate the conversation and advance the conversation, regardless of whether you agree with them or not. I think uh, the topic is better off for having them involved rather than rather than not, because we probably wouldn't, if it wasn't for Jeremy Corbell and George Knapp, we probably wouldn't had have the uh, the the visual footage that's been released thus far that uh, is legitimate military footage. We just don't know what it is. It could be prosaic. It might not be prosaic. If it's not prosaic, then that's you know because it only takes one to be not prosaic and this to be um, game over. But even if it is prosaic, it's still something that's important because if it's a foreign adversarial system and the U.S. Department of Defense is caught sleeping at the wheel. That's a huge embarrassment for America, the strongest and greatest military power on the planet, and something that they need to get off their ass on and fix quick smart. So, yeah, uh, so that would be the thing I say that those that haven't watched the UFO Revolution series, I think it's, uh, uh, I think it's a really good, well, well done, um, you know, documentary that's worth watching, regardless of what yeah. you think of the people that are involved of it. That's right. And look, I hope that, like, you know, let's say like Jeremy and George, like, they are pushing hard, and like, I hope they're not just in it for the money. Um, like, but obviously, as they're, as you said, like, they, you know, they are coming up with results to a degree. Um, it's not the greatest of the results, but like, surely there's going to be some point there where they can go, look, right, we, we know some stuff. Let's just push it hard and just get it out there. Um, like, I'm sick of, I'm sure everyone else is sick of it too. Like, you know, if I could tell you what I know, what these people are telling us and share it with you, like, you know, you, you might not be blown. But that's mm. all they wanted to keep doing is like, you know, if only I could tell you, if only I could tell you, I can't tell you something, but, you know, but I know these things, I know something. But it's like, well, stop hiding behind this we know stuff wall and just give us that information. Like, I know people are going to get in trouble because they're sharing stuff, you know, like, obviously, you know, I don't want to th uh, threaten people's lives and whatnot. But this is where they need to start coming out into the, the, into the Congress meetings there under that, uh, you know, wh whistleblower act. You know, yeah. they need to start coming through out there. Stop hiding behind you this whole bullshit thing of like, you know, oh, you know, I'm getting frustrated. <laughs> I'm flustering myself. Yeah. No, I, I <laughs> you feel your I mean. frustration. And and look, I would say that um, where you're at now is where I was. Um, probably it was my um, mindset only changed really in the last six months. Um, because if you, if you personally haven't been involved with um, connecting with, um of, of a source that's of significant value uh it's it's easy to say oh well you know don't hide behind your sources and oh the the national security card and you know you got to protect your sources it's easy to say that but unless you're actually in the position of a jeremy corbell or a ross coulthard or a george knapp or others um where you firsthand know the risks that a source um, is subjecting themselves to not just professionally, but personally, um, you know, risk of their well-being being impacted, their their security and, and livelihood. I mean, if 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 a source provides um, a Jeremy Corbell or a George Knapp or a Ross Coulthard with information that is incredibly sensitive, uh, it's classified information, and that source was to be compromised, then that source is no, you know, excuse my French, but up shit creek. They could go to jail for a very, very long mm. time. So I respect the 
code of conduct that Ross Coulthard, Jeremy Corbell, and George Knapp adhere to religiously as investigative journalists, the golden rule is you do not reveal your source. You do everything can you can to protect your source, even when they uh, uh, are not really protecting themselves because um, sources could get into a hell of a lot of trouble. And um, if you burn a source, then your um, credibility as an investigative journalist, as someone that can procure information that can help drive the conversation forward, uh, you, you're done. You, you're you're yeah. never going to be a, tr a trusted, um, you know, uh, asset again. No one is ever going to share information with you if you burn a source. So I've I've learned that firsthand, and I, you know I can't talk about that um, further. Uh, but until you're actually in the position where you you know what um, risks a source is is subjecting themselves to, uh, it's it's easy to opine and comment that. Well, just you know, give us the information. I'm sure, and that's why I think. A lot of people have jumped on Ross Coulthard's back about the, you know, a UFO so massive that they had to build uh, a building over it. I think Ross probably regrets that he ever <laughs> mentioned that um, that UFO um, scenario because of the heat and pushback that he's um, had as a result of back uh, as a result of that. But I get it. I, I I know why he can't reveal any more information on that. Than he can because if he does, he jeopardizes the safety, the security, the well-being, the welfare of his source. Uh, and if he does that, the the, com the 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 topic takes a big hit, in my opinion. Uh, the general public will be privy to less uh, information that's been drip-fed to us since 2017, and a, a source is never going to trust you again, and you're never going to um, you're never going to have uh, the same value that you once had as a as an investigative journalism. So I've come mm -hmm. to appreciate that about Ross, George, and Jeremy. Um, others will disagree with me, and that's fine. Uh, but um, yeah, I, I I respect the the in the code that they adhere to as investigative journalists. Mm. You know, like I fully understand all that, and like I understand why, like you're saying, like, but I sort of feel like. These guys need to start helping to push them through, go through the right channels to go and break this open. You know, like I, I'm not saying, you know, Jeremy going start pointing names or Ross start pointing names going, hey, this guy told me. I don't, I'm not saying that. I'm saying help them push through the right channels, break this open, break it open like he's done with um, Grush. You know, same sort of concept. He's gone through the right channels. He's gone through what he can go and reveal and what he cannot. And now obviously because of the whistleblower testimony act is there in place. There shouldn't be any fears of them yeah. coming forward. And look how careful David Grush has been. Like to, to one of the yeah. comments that came through in the chat, Glenn B. May says, um, and it's a good point, are you aware of the Official Secrecy Act? Do you understand its implications, the ramifications of transgression? So if you are in noncompliance with the, uh, if, if you break an oath or if you are in noncompliance with the Official Secrecy Act, you, you're in some really hot water. So, and David Grush has been incredibly careful to not reveal any information that um, you know jeopardizes national security yeah. uh, sources and methods in the US. He's he's only saying what the um, DOPSA, you know, the Defense pre-publication 
so the, the the formal review process has permitted to him to say they've they've done their you know dot, dotted the i's and and crossed the t's and said well you can say this because it doesn't I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Um, Jeopardize national security. uh, And it doesn't reveal any classified information that could... um, you know, um, exploit, uh, you know, for, for foreign adversaries to uh, exploit our vulnerabilities, you know, sources of methods, capabilities, yeah. vulnerabilities, those sorts of things. So, you know, David Grush is, uh, a lot of people jump on him for saying, oh, you, you haven't brought any evidence to the table. Well, he can't bring any evidence to the table to the general public right. because it's all classified. And the folks that are in a position to know that information, thankfully, are the ones that are engaged in the topic in the U.S., the congressmen and women that are taking this topic seriously, uh, you know, obviously there are challenges with the House Oversight Committee still not having heard David Grush's classified, classified testimony in its entirety because, one, they don't have the uh, appropriate clearances to hear his testimony firsthand. And David Grush, I think uh, there are questions about does he... You know, he hasn't got the appropriate one-time reading or clearance to divulge that information. Um, but, you know, we should all be thankful that the, the, the folks in the U.S. that are taking this topic seriously in government, um, you know, on the Senate Armed Services Committee and the uh, Senate Intelligence's, uh, you know, the, 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 the two Senate committees that are taking this topic seriously, we just haven't heard anything from them nor probably will we because the information that they're hearing is classified. Uh, so it's, you know, it's only through the drips and drabs of information that, uh, you know, congressmen and women will share with the public like they've been doing when they came out of the SCIF meeting with the ICIG. You know, they, they got in front of the camera straight away and they shared some comments with the, uh, you know, the U.S., uh, public in the world, but they didn't reveal any information that was classified that they heard in that in that uh, skiff meeting. So I think that's that's the best that we could expect going forward on this topic. Uh, in you know going forward, is that the more and more congressional hearings, the more and more field hearings there are, the more and more members of Congress that start asking questions. Uh, and demanding answers from the intelligence community, there'll be drips and drabs of information that will then spill on over to the general public. But we're never going to, unfortunately, get all of the answers to the questions we have because 
the nature of the overclassification of the UAP topic. And that's the big problem. The overclassification of the UAP topic is what is is what I think is the real threat to national security. The fact that you have House Oversight Committee members whose job it is, it's their mission to expose waste, fraud, and abuse, and they can't investigate uh, in their in full capacity the allegations that David Grush has come forward on with respect to waste, fraud, and abuse. You know of how no who knows how many millions, billions, trillions of dollars that have been spent possibly on crash retrieval, uh, these you know clandestine reverse engineering programs operating under SAPs and WUSAPs or whatever. Um, it's it's the House Oversight Committee's job to expose waste, fraud, and abuse, and and mitigate waste, fraud, and abuse going forward. How can they exercise their congressional mandate? of oversight when they're not even allowed to see the classified information. And I think that's a mm. real problem. Yeah, it's a real break in the departments, isn't it? Like, you know, how can you do anything? Can't achieve anything. And that's uh, so that's if, it's, if part that's too. Not, I've never seen that. If the challenge is that the House, House Oversight Committee is not uh, evidence of a broken system, then I, I really don't know what is. But, the I, I you know, the, the overclassification um, of... Uh, information in the US and, and the overclassification of the UAT UOP topic is a is a huge problem because everyone operates in these silos, they can these these compartments, no one talks to one another. No wonder, you know, I think there's probably um, a, a lot of disorganization and chaos within the three-letter agencies across the uh, the the US Department of Defense and Intelligence community because everything is so siloed. So I think you know, and and one of the things that the Deputy Secretary of Defense Kathleen Hicks wants to get on top of is you know breaking down the walls of the problem that's associated with overclassification, and that's this is just one aspect of it. We're not even really talking about the you know the the really fascinating stuff of you know biologics, non-human intelligence, uh, you know downed UAP, uh, you know crash retrieval teams, reverse engineering. You know, all of the things that we're so fascinated by that would, you know, strike, um, I mean, it just gets to your curiosity the moment you hear something like that. But there's there's all of these other important elements as well that I think, you know, Congress is taking very seriously in concert with the whole NHI discussion. It's about, well, Congress should know where taxpayer dollars are going and they should have oversight over programs that, uh, even if they're um, they need to be classified in nature, they still need to have a degree of oversight. So, yeah. Anyway, that's so, uh, that's a kind good of example of uh, overclassification. There was in a report there a while back where it was the the shape of the blacked out. It's like how is that even a classification? I, I, exactly. I only um, tweeted about that this afternoon. You know, John Grimall Jr. Uh, mm. received documents, heavily redacted documents, back in the FOIA request. That um, you know all of the uh, common shapes of UAP were completely redacted. I mean, how ridiculous is that? I mean, how are you jeopardizing, you know, sources and methods and and exposing capabilities and vulnerabilities with sh common UAP shapes? I mean, give me a break. <laughs> and that's just an, that's just an example of where the overclassification is a is a massive uh, problem. So. Yeah. It's it's absolutely stupid and frustrating. And again, like well, like I was saying before, like you know, 
the mention of non-human intelligence and stuff like that, you know, that should have broken the news like worldwide. And as I sort of feel like that should have encouraged a lot of other countries then to come forward and go, hey, look, we know what we know here. And you know, you know, everything should have been just flooding out, but it did. Um, no one gave a rat's ass about it. it no, took, uh, I think it took us what three weeks, maybe four weeks before Australia even gone. Oh yeah, look, we got some guy here claiming this. Blah blah blah. It is absolutely bullshit. Yeah, and I mean, and that's why, and that's why I'm very interested to follow the you know the progress of the Soul Foundation because uh, headed by um, Dr. Gary Nolan because one of their part of their mission is to engage other national governments uh, on the UAP topic from a pol policy perspective. So not only just focusing on policy for the US, but engaging other governments on um, how it can Im create, implement policy on UAP in their respective countries. Now, if, if there's an opportunity, I'd love to see what engagement, if any, they have with Australia on that front. I, th I think there'll be a hard door to, um, to get an answer on if you come knocking. But uh, it, it, I mean, it's be interesting none, nonetheless. So, and you know, to Glenn's point, you know, Glenn in your chat says, you know, loving your chat, but you need an um, an Australian context on your conversation also. So, uh, and I agree. You know, we can only go so far with um, you know talking about Australian context <laughs> in Australian context because unfortunately, very little is happening at the moment in an Australian context. If the Australian government was, uh, you know even a little bit more engaged on this topic and was being a bit more transparent with the Australian public, then there would be a lot more information that we could talk about. But the extent of what we know at the moment is that Australia is now engaged in the conversation uh, you know, in light of the information that we've now, that we now know it attended the Five Eyes Forum on UAP. That's all we know. So hopefully the conversation in an Australian context will increase, uh, you know, and broaden later this year when more information has come to light. So unfortunately, we're really um, guided by a lot of the stuff that comes out of the US. Now, certainly to Glenn's point, if he's talking about um, Australian-centric cases pertaining to UAP UFOs, certainly, you know, we, we haven't even really had a conversation about cases and uh, other than Westall briefly at the start. But um, what I'm really talking about this evening is where, what drives me, what my passion is to try and uh, advocate for the topic at a government level and at a national uh, defence level. And um, as, as challenging as that effort is, um, I'll certainly you know, continue to, to carry the torch and, and, um, and be happy to stand along folks uh, that want to carry it as well. So like you said, with a... Uh, an idea for a, an activist, activist event. But uh, I don't want to own the conversation, you know, if, if there's anything else you want to talk about, maybe to Glenn's point that might be more Australian context related, if it's uh, case-wise, happy to go down that path. Yeah, unfortunately, there's not much more I want to go on with Australian, so I think that's <laughs> where we're sort of really going with it. Because, um, yeah, as you're saying, like, you know, everything's so related to US, and that's like I was saying before, like the, the frustrating part is we're so reliant on the US. And obviously, um, you know, we're trying to figure out where we are going with Australians' involvement or lack of, you know, mm -hmm. to put in, in um, context. But, you know, like, um, I was like, the uh, next question I was going to ask you is, like, now Kirk Patrick's out of the picture, where do you think we're going to we're going to go with Aero and um, what we might get out of this new model? Well, I would say, is he out of the picture? If you read oh. the latest article from the Liberation Times, 
No, I haven't. Uh, which is um, Christopher Sharp's publication. Uh, I actually read it only today. Uh, and I'll read you a quote. Um, here we go. So you might be sitting a bit on the sidelines or something, eh? Yeah. So um, this was, uh, yeah. So uh, Christa, Christopher Sharp engaged Susan Goff, who's kind of like the US Pentagon spokesperson on UFO. Um, and Liberation Times reported the RO is notably currently without a director, which is true. We know that Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick retired uh, in December of last year. He, he, he closed up shop as director. Now you've got an acting director in Timothy Phillips leading up R until they install a new full-time replacement to Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick. But the Liberation Times goes on to say the, the RO is notably currently without a director following the departure of Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick. But Goff, being Susan Goff, did confirm that the former director will continue his involvement as an unpaid consultant. The oh, quote from Susan paid. Goff is, the department will continue to leverage Dr. Kirkpatrick's expertise as needed and available as an unpaid consultant. So isn't that interesting that he still has... Well, I really pay for his expertise as it is because, you know, he's buggered up a few little investigations. <laughs> you know, we had that um, uh, ball object there that was over in Iran or something like that. I think there was a while back there and thinking it was the object moving, but it's a bit of like, you know, uh, was it the parallax effect? I can't think what the term is now. Yeah, well, I mean, you look at, you know, um, the cases that Aro has been able to resolve. You know, it's it's interesting to see um, what cases they have resolved, but unfortunately they mm. haven't published many of them. You know, they've, they've said no. that they've been able to resolve as many as they have, but they've only published such a small number on their website. Why is it taking Aro so long to get from information out to the, the public on the topic? I mean, if you look at their their Twitter feed or X, uh, you know, there's only one post from Ara, and that was back in July of 2022. So they obviously still have no communication strategy in place. There's no engagement whatsoever with uh, the the general public on this topic. And I mean, how long did it take them to get a, a pretty basic looking website up and running that is, mm. uh, you know, void of a lot of meaningful, valuable content? I mean, there's some stuff on there, but, you know, I would say that... Um, I hope that whoever comes in as Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick's replacement um, is a little bit more ambitious, is a little bit more aggressive, is a little bit more proactive than reactive um, on the topic. Because I hate to say it, whenever I saw Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick speak in public, uh, at face value, from an observation perspective, it sounded like he didn't want to be there. He didn't want to be mm. in the job. He didn't want to do it. He was just doing it to, you know, Get the uh, you know, get his retirement fund when he when he retired. You know, he, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I I I question how seriously Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick wanted to um to get to the bottom of uh, of what UAPR. So I I really hope that whoever comes in and replaces him is uh, a breath of fresh air and uh, and maybe it turns Ara around. But I won't hold my breath. Um, mm. because all we've seen to date from Aro is Project Blue Book 2.0. It's it's yeah. you know, it's, it's history's repeated itself. Look, honestly, I don't know if people are going to hate me for, for saying this, but I reckon Mick West. I vote Mick West in for the uh, new head <laughs> of Aero. Um, well, look, like, yeah, I don't know if you people it, don't like him, but he's actually pretty onto it. 
irrespective of what you think of of Mick West, and look, I, I think he does. Um, he 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 does. He's he's clearly got the skill set to understand. Um, you know. Uh, you know, physics, math, stuff technology, like yeah. uh, what he's looking at, optics, and so on. I, I, I think he is intelligent, and I think he does good work in debunking cases that clearly are debunkable. Um, you know, there are a few things that I think he's probably a little bit closed-minded on. Namely, yeah. Gimbal is 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 a good example. I think there are some really Great researchers, uh, you know, in the space, and and you know, Scott, um, you know, will will attest to that. There are some good folks that are doing some really good work. Um, you know, Scott being one of them, along with others on Gimbal and other cases that still have a lot of unanswered questions. And I think yeah. what irks people or rubs people the wrong way with Mick West is maybe it's being a Brit the may that the, the the way that he communicates. Uh, it can be a little bit sometimes abrupt and um, yeah. come off and rub people the wrong way. But, you know, I, I don't disagree with you. I think someone of that caliber that comes at it from, because we all should have a, spe- a skeptical mind. Critical analysis. It and, needs it. Yeah, critical. And, and you know, follow follow the data, not just select data, though. That's that's the thing no, that no. I... Um, I probably would push back a little bit on Mick West is that, you know, Gimbal being a classic example where he'll take into account, um, you know, the the FLIR footage, but he won't take into account. He'll try and discredit Gimbal uh, on the FLIR footage alone and not take into account the other supporting evidence like, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the, the communication between the pilots uh, hmm. radar footage that we've never seen the light of day on. You, you can't, you have, to, and this is what, this is what I'm also critical of Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick. I believe that you can't just be selective on the data. You have to look at all of the data and follow it wherever it leads. And I think that is where Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick has um, probably failed to meet people's expectations. Certainly yeah. those that, have come forward to Aro uh, with their testimony of, uh, you know, um, the Maelstrom incident of 1967. You've got other folks that uh, have shared their testimony to Aro of UAP uh, impacting or, um, uh, you, know, uh, you know, impacting uh, nuclear facilities and, and nuclear assets. So I think there are some real question marks over was Aro under Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick's lead taking into account all of the data or just being selective on the data that yeah. confirmed their bias, confirmation bias? So, I, I, yeah, I, that's why I hope and pray that whoever whoever replaces Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick uh, is, is a little bit more open-minded, is a little bit more ambitious, and is a little bit more ingress, uh, aggressive and proactive to chase down all the data uh, and not just come to a conclusion, reach a conclusion on select data, uh, hmm. because that's the I would like trap to think that you can that, fall into. Yeah, I'd like to think that like, if Mick West was given the resources there to really investigate into it properly, I sort of feel like he would do a reasonably good job at it. Um, but it also depends on like how much was Kirkpatrick and the rest of the Aero team read into to be able to go and investigate into things properly. Like that's the 
question yeah, I mean, there. Well, how could they even investigate into something that's going to? I mean, right? in April, April of last year, um, you know, Aro, I believe, only had its Title Ten authority. It un- it didn't have Title Fifty authority, which would allow it to dig uh, deeper and get um, information from other um, agencies that was classified in nature. So, you know, did that uh, did, did that kind of um, were they hamstrung by for for quite a while not having that full title of fifty authority? I, I don't know, but you know, it, yeah, I think we certainly the 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 perceived um, there's a perceived lack of trust certainly in Aro. Aro has some real um, it's faced a huge reputational risk, I think, uh, from Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick being at the helm. So I hope that whoever they install as his replacement can restore some public trust uh, and um, and and you know and restore the public's faith in that Aro will be much more transparent um, mm. with its findings. Because let's be honest, Aro has really not put out a lot a lot of information, and they're now been going for how many years? A bit over, um, you know, coming up on two years, if not a bit over two years. So, you know, I think the public have greater expectations uh, on the transparency side of things with uh, with Aro, and 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 yeah. that's clearly evident because you've got whistleblowers that are being you know referred to to the IG, the ICIG. That you know, people are saying, don't go to Aro because they're not going to take your uh, your claims and allegations seriously, they're not going to exercise their due diligence and go down the rabbit holes that need to be uh, you know, mm. followed to get to the bottom of these CR, these crash retrieval and, and reverse engineering claims. And so that's why I think um, a lot of whistleblowers have ended up you know, going to the Inspector General because uh, they, there's a lack of trust that ARO is going to do its homework. And... and yeah. Um, do its due diligence. It sort of yeah. makes it feel like maybe error is just a forefront there just to appease the public saying, hey, yeah, look, we're looking into it, but we're not really going to tell you anything. Yeah. <laughs> just, just to so, put that out there. It's just because it's just like, yeah, like you're saying, like how much has failed from error to get present itself there and just anything that they seem to be doing at the moment with regarding to any release of information, it just seems to be like it's half-assed. No, well, well, look, where's volume one of the historical cases that Short, Sean Kirkpatrick said he was, uh, you know, planning yeah, to get out look into Roswell he left. Wasn't he? Yeah, going back to 1948, I think volume one and two, there's going to be a historical cases uh, analysis and review, and then you've got a lot of the, the modern stuff. I think it was two volumes. Where's volume one? He said it was going to be released before um, he, he, he left ARA. We're still waiting on it, you know? So just... Time and time again, it's the same old stuff that delays, um, you know, lack of information, um, lack of transparency. It just does not bode well for public trust. And that's mm. what RO has a real credibility, credibility issue at the moment because of those things, unfortunately, because of Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick. You know, I think he and look, was RO set up to fail from day one? Quite possibly because yeah. you got someone like his former boss, Ronald Moultrie, who's, you know, he and Scott Bray 
testified before Congress in May of 2022 uh, and brought very, very little to the table. Ronald Moultrie was the one that signed ARA's checks initially. And, you know, in April of last year, Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick said that he had a strategic plan that he had drafted ready to go and it was waiting to be signed off by Ronald Moultrie. So, I, you know, Ronald Moultrie should be um, hauled over the hot coals and, and really questioned on, well, why did it take so long under your leadership, um, you know, and for, for, for Kirkpatrick as your direct report, why did it take you so long to sign off on a website? Why did it take, take you so long to sign off on a strategic plan for ARA? Why is it taking you so long to sign off on a communication strategy? which there is still none for ARA. So there's a lot of mm. questions that need to be asked of those that, um, you know, the gatekeepers, if you will, in the Pentagon. And I think Ronald Moultrie has a hell of a lot to answer for, for um, ARA's performance. Yeah, there's a lot of people that need to be taken up for accountability on the lack of everything that's been promised to us, you know, that sort of regard, um, yeah. which is it's frustrating you know it's people always promises the world's like especially the ufo community in general always promises like well, we've been getting promises all these years all these decades and still nothing is getting presented no and, and yet, i've learned know, we're almost on a breakthrough yeah. and yet still nothing is there it's like just at the bottleneck there and like you know people are claiming you know this year is going to be amazing or everything's going to be released this year or next year you know but it's like we've been hearing that for years like you know i'm Everyone's it's, it's, a, it's a hard pill to swallow, but I've learned <laughs> to manage my expectations. I think yeah, going I don't in, uh, yeah, I mean, I think going in, a lot of people had high hopes and high expectations for Aro because they've been pushing so hard for there to be an investigative investigatory body on UAP in the US, you know, above and beyond. You know, the UAP task force was temporary, then you had AIMSOG, which was a farce, and then Aro, and and you know, how many naming convention iterations did ARA go through it at one point it was ASRO then it was ASTRO and then they landed on ARO yeah. um so you know people had some really you know genuine um expectations for ARO to deliver and I think it's just been a, a miserable disappointment so I've um yeah I and I suspect a lot of others have now learned the hard way to manage our expectations and when there is something exciting on the horizon don't get too excited about it, you know. Uh, yeah, Ma manage yeah. your expectations is what I would say. That's it. And that's where, like, everyone's so, like, reliant on Ross and Jeremy to be going through, they're pushing through this this information and breakthroughs. Yeah. But yet we're still getting nothing much out of them either. And that's where I think a lot of people, that's where you're saying, like, you know, people are getting the, they're getting the hate for it. You know, they're, they're, they're our, uh, what would you call them, uh, the forefront, you know, the front line, basically. Well, they've developed a, a, a network of trusted sources. You know, a lot of people um, entrust Jeremy, George, Ross with their information because they know that they're never at risk of being exposed as the source. Um, to what extent, you know, how much information is being, you know, revealed to, to those guys that then they have to try and corroborate because they're not just hearing it from one person. They've got to corroborate it across a number of different sources Mm. Um, before they can report on it, if they're allowed to report on it, if it's um, you know something that uh, you know they're they're permitted to um, share publicly, uh, and that goes back to the sources and methods and you know yeah capabilities vulnerabilities we talked about before. But um, you know, I mean, 
again, comes back to what we kind of heard last year and, you know, with Carl Nell that came up, popped out of nowhere as someone that was backing a lot of David Grush's claims and then for him to appear uh, kind of out of the blue at the Soul Foundation as uh, a, 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 you know, a speaker with a, a controlled disclosure plan. I mean, that's something that no one had kind of ever anticipated before until we heard about it um, through people that attended the Soul Foundation. So I, that's that's what I'm hopeful for. I'm hopeful for in 2024 that there are more whistleblowers and primary witnesses mm. that come forward, um, whether that's you know publicly to the same degree that David Grush has, fantastic. I think that you know if you have more witnesses and whistleblowers that can stand alongside Grush that corroborate um, the claims being made across um you know, between David Grush and maybe what these whistleblowers are going to bring forward. Great. I think that helps continue to move the conversation. And, um, you know, I think if there is continued uh, obfuscation and, and lack of transparency um, from the U.S. Department of Defense, I think you're going to get probably more leaks like the, you know, the leaks that we've seen thus far that Jeremy Corville has put out. Now, what's frustrating is the quality of those leaks. Um, it ain't that great. You know, the, the, the quality of the footage that we've we've all seen to date, you know, Tic Tac, Fleer, uh, sorry, Tic Tac, Gimbal, Go Fast, the Mosul Orb, um, the Jellyfish, you know, the Chandelier. I mean, it, you know, if, if, if you believe what, and think of him what you will, Hal Pudoff has said in an interview with Eric Weinstein and Jesse Michaels that... The U.S. government has, um, you know, high fidelity, high quality data that's 4K uh, mm -hmm. comparable, and we're seeing, you know, scraps of footage that infrared is, shit. You know, we're seeing black and white grainy footage that's been dumbed down in resolution, so it's harder to, you know, make out anything. It's it's not clear. There's no, uh, it's poor resolution. You can't discern a whole lot from the videos that have been made publicly available today. Now, to credit credit to many folks are certainly doing their due diligence and trying, like, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know uh, Scott that was here before, uh, there's another gentleman, the Choller, and you've got Merrick on Renan Camp who's done some good work on, great work on Gimbal as well. So, that, you know, there are people that are trying to do the best they can with what they have on what's been made available to the general public. Yeah. But at face value, it's, it's, it's not that impressive. Uh, no. So, you know, it would just be so great to finally see some high fidelity, high quality video footage or imagery that can really help move the needle um, uh, on, on the topic. But then of course you will have people that will come forward and say, you know, we live in the age of, uh, AI and deep fakes and I mean it's so easy for um, AI to kind of generate um, you know uh, re hyper realistic uh, imagery that is actually almost getting to the point that it's hard to discern and differentiate what's real and what's AI generated so you know if people see yeah. something that looks realistic are they going to question the 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 authenticity of that anyway so you know exactly I don't think video video footage or imagery is ever going to be good enough for some folks too yeah and like a lot of my followers i know they're going to understand like, i hate fake footage people post them up on social media it absolutely grinds my gears 
you know mm. but some people think oh yeah it's very artistic you know it's supposed to be a representation of what people have possibly seen in that but the problem is though they claim them as being real footage and then it just does a massive discredit to the ufo community it itself saying, i agree you know look oh this image here is real but it's absolutely bullshit it's fake yep and that's it grinds my gears it frustrates the crap out of me because people want to keep sharing they actually believe it's real and then takes away all credibility from people who have actual legitimate footage uh, or sightings, you know. It, it, that's the frustrating part. And yep, I really yeah, hope it, people can stop sharing that crap around, but, you know, it's not going to happen. I know. And and it comes back to the point that I said before. And unfortunately, I think there are folks out there that just do seek to profit from content they know that is BS or it's fake or it's demonstrably false. There's always mm. going to be... Uh, there will always be those that that seek to profit and grift off of the topic, uh, which is unfortunate. But you know, if you're, uh, you know, and I, I think it's always worthwhile calling out those or, or challenging those that put out questionable content, and then just ignoring them, muting them, blocking them, whatever you need to do, so it doesn't appear in your feed, um, and you can just get to what's important to you. Which, if it's experience, yeah. a testimony, if it's footage that you've captured or family friends uh colleagues have captured that's interesting or uh, advocating for greater um engagement uh at, at you know at a government level like i'm doing uh or, or just you know engaging in conversation respectful conversation on the topic do do what's important to you and and try and try your best to separate the chaff from the weeds and, and ignore what's not serving you or is of value. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Look, look, honestly, like the UFO topic is difficult in its own regard. Like, obviously, you know, people are discrediting the people's claims of UFOs and that. Um, people are trying to, you know, put up fake stuff there, or people are trying to explain they've had an encounter, which is easily misidentified. You know, it's one of those things like, you know, we're, you know, we're, we're trying to get away from the whole crazy UFO community, you know, and trying to bring out a reality that something is actually out there. But, you know, some people do. Is, do a massive discredit because they don't understand the technology that's available or, you know, something they just don't understand that might have an explanation behind it. And it's not to say, like, you know, I'm not saying that they're the crazy people, but there are some people who are, you know, will yeah, try and claim anything that is, they see and it as a UFO. Not, and it's not just in this topic as well. I think it's true of a lot of other topics as well. And and that's why I've always, I always try and stay um, as best I can as neutral and and follow um you know follow the data and the facts where they lead not just that um i'm able to uncover but others as well i mean you know the the great work that the scu does the scientific coalition on uap um there are just those independent researchers that are doing great work as well and you know just putting your putting your um your your discernment hat on and knowing that you know if someone floods if if they if they flood social media with a, a a video clip that just goes viral um you know don't don't be so um quick to uh jump to a conclusion um too quickly you know exercise some degree of skepticism uh, do your due diligence so you can reach a conclusion that satisfies you as to whether or not this is something that's worth pursuing and learning more about um, or just ignoring and moving on to something else. So that's that's served me well to kind of come at things that, uh, from a, a neutral perspective and follow um, 
you know, and, fo and follow the good work that others do as well. Because there are plenty of folks in the community that that are intelligent, that do some really good research. That I, um, you know, I try. I mean, I I I really respect and and value the work that Keith Basterfield has done uh, mm -hmm. on on this topic for many many decades, along with Bill Chalker as well. I mean, you know, th th there are there are guys that um, I really look to, um, you know, on particularly when I was investigating the Westall case. You know, Keith Basterfield did a lot of work on. Um, high bell, a high altitude balloon being a possible prosaic uh, explanation, a prosaic hypothesis for what was attributed to the, can be attributed to the Westall flying saucer. Um, you know, and that was a really interesting hypothesis that Keith put forward and he did a lot of homework and research to bring that forward. He doesn't necessarily, uh, he's not saying that's what it was because he wasn't there on the day. You know, he'll be the first one to tell you that. But mm. uh, I respect folks that, are able to invest their time, energy, and effort and resources into uh, pulling a thread that's important for them, uh, for for others to then critique their work and uh, yeah, agree with it, disagree with it, challenge it, debate it, rather than, uh, you know, I often don't reach a conclusion solely on my own. Uh, I'll engage others that have come before me or uh, alongside with me doing their homework as well. So, yep. Yeah, like I'll put myself in that sort of category as well. Like I help a lot of people there with the Australian UFO sightings page, um, mm -hmm. you know, because people people are seeing a lot of misidentified things like lens flares, bugs, or planets. You know, stars, Starlink, for example, or ISS goes over. And look, I'm happy to help people there to try and uh, you know come up with a conclusion or a possible outcome of what their sighting might be. Um, but you get a lot of people there that sort of get their knickers in a twist there because it's not something that they want it to be. Yeah, uh, which sort of really it does really it's frustrating to agree because like then you know, I cop the abuse going you don't know what you're talking about. It's like I do this in my own free will, you know. I'm not here to try and discredit people of what they're encountering. It's just more so I'm trying to help them uh, identify or have some sort of explanation. You know, some people have had some amazing encounters that you can't explain, or you're seeing something that can't be explained. And that's yeah. not to give you any discredit at all. It's just saying look, or to say it is an alien UFO craft. It's just to say it's something that's unknown and we can't call it an alien UFO because we don't have enough evidence to really go and claim it. So Yeah, I know, agree. It's, it's, it's yep. yeah, particular in real what we, what we try and do. Because unfortunately, and, and that's, you know, I think why there was a rebranding of UFO to UAP because the general populace, when they hear UFO, they automatically associate it with, you know, alien, extraterrestrial, which yeah, we man. know, yeah, we know that UAP can be a number of things. You know, ET is one hypothesis. You know, you've also got um, the fact that it could be, uh, you know, a large part of UAP sightings is and probably will always be misidentification. Uh, mm. You know, celest celestial bodies, you've got misidentifying uh, aircraft, you have, um, you know, atm atmospheric phenomena, you've got, um, other nation systems, but then you also have the more um, exotic hypotheses, like the extraterrestrial hypothesis or the non-human intelligence angle, which could include interdimensional, uh, ultra-terrestrial, mm. uh, extra-tempestral. You know the future human hypothesis. I mean, there are there's a smorgasbord of menu items uh, available when it comes to 
you know, what UAP could be and whether or not they're just one of those things on that list. I have no idea. I think it's an interesting question. But yeah, one should not be too quick to jump to the conclusion that if they see something in the sky they can't readily identify or reconcile, they shouldn't automatically jump to the conclusion that it's um, that it's ET. Uh, you should you should you should start. That should be at the bottom of your list. You should mm. start with every prosaic explanation you can think of and cross them off as you go. Uh, but unfortunately, you're right. You know, folks. Uh, a lot of folks will follow the herd if something goes viral online. You know, the TikTok generation is a classic example, and the Miami aliens is a classic example of that. Well, they'll just follow the herd, and they'll um, you know follow the Pied Piper and and believe what someone else has said is this must be aliens. When in actual fact, there's a lot of a lot of homework and due diligence you need to do before you can reach that conclusion. So just exercise um, a degree of discernment that helps satisfy your curiosity as to what something is or isn't. Yeah, absolutely. And I think someone mentioned in the comments there too, that like there needs to be more information coming out from that Miami incident. Like, you know, I know they said like there was a, a shooting of some sort, which, you know, I sort of feel like it would degree a lot of police response um, being such a large area and, you know, they're surrounding the areas. Um, the big claim that it's an alien and you know some of the footage I've seen from like the shadow objects or beings you know it's yeah, really I mean, given no credibility to the, no, and, the claim and look of at being the, alien and look at the day and age that we live in as well the United States active shooter scenario uh, mass panic you would have a massive police response to an active shooter scenario so I suspect just the the um, you know the environment and uh, just the the, 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 tense, the, the tense environment that a lot of folks live in the United States with mass shootings being a daily occurrence, it doesn't mm. surprise me that if there was some, um, you know, I mean, we, we don't know the full extent as to what, you know, there was uh, fireworks being set off. Could they have been misidentified as, uh, yeah, from an active shooter? You've got a massive brawl or fight that broke out. You have... Uh, unruly patrons from uh, um, a Margaritaville, you know, that are causing ruckus. So there are a whole lot of un unanswered questions as to why that massive response was justified. But again, you know, in the in the uh, in the day and age we live in, in an active shooter scenario in the United States, it didn't surprise me that that was something that uh, we were seeing. Uh, you know, Miami Aliens was the 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 furthest thing from my mind when I was uh, seeing that splashed across <laughs> the tv but plus where's yeah. all the cctv footage uh people have got phones i'm sure like, i don't know the people are trying to run away exactly there's gonna be some think... sort of camera footage yeah so you know people just need to i think um uh be a little bit more skeptical and exercise a bit more discernment rather than following the herd uh following the pied piper and um you know don't hate me for saying it but but uh you know, an effort to be less gullible and just accept something as reality and as true when point of fact, um, that's not how you should reach a conclusion. You should, uh, you know, go through a, a rigorous process of being able to validate, corroborate, um, mm. you know, information from on the ground and different sources. So that's, um, and it's just unfortunate that, there are people 
on social media that will take advantage of that uh, when something goes viral, you know, because in the TikTok age, you get remunerated, you get rewarded, uh, you're monetized based on the number of views that you get on your channel, like YouTube monetization is, but TikTok is a very different, um, you know, beast that I'm not really um, in fully engaged on. But I think that's what was happening. I think you had a lot of people with channels on TikTok with big audiences. They saw it as a cash cow. They went to town trying to get a trying to make a buck out of it, and and that's mm. really unfortunate and does a disservice to uh, the UAP community and those that take it seriously and want to further the conversation and get real answers to questions that are important to them. So that's yeah, where I kind of but in saying that too, though, like you got to keep an open mind that the possibility could have been there that the aliens were there and this could be a massive uh, government cover up. That that's hundred percent. And look, so, yeah. and and uh, absolutely, but. You know, show us some data that yeah. will um, will suggest that as a plausible um, as a plausible explanation. And I, we never saw any of it. You know, we saw, uh, you know, we saw, uh, you know, footage that had been purposely manipulated. We had, mm. uh, you know, someone coming out um, with these claims that this is what they saw, and then they backtracked and said, "I wasn't even in Miami," and you know, and but folks on the TikTok side, they'll ignore evidence to the contrary that it was just a hoax or um, some tomfoolery. It, it really took a life of its own, unfortunately. And that's where I, what yeah. I fear is a big risk for the UAP community is if you have some footage that is leaked, that, uh, and, you know, to a degree, the jellyfish is an, is an example of that. Um, you know, there, there are a lot of people that, Holy crap! It's you know that's 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 something that is completely alien looking to me. So it must be alien. But I think there's a there's a few hoops that you need to jump through uh, in order to reach that conclusion. And there's nothing wrong with asking questions, and that's what we should all be doing. You should never Absolutely. be fearful to ask questions uh, to you know and seek answers to those questions that are important to you. Um, so anyway, you know, each each to their own. Each has their own process. Um, but I, um, any, any time I see any footage that gets leaked or put out there, um, I always look at it from a very skeptical lens, but still keeping an open mind and not relying on just, um, video footage or photographic imagery, imagery alone. There's mm. all other things that go into it. Provenance. How did it come into existence? you know uh what were the what happened pre during post event you know which are, are all things that should be asked of anyone that um if i anytime i am talking to someone uh, and you know to a degree it was the folks that i met at the witness reunion event for the westall incident i kind of pre during post i try and get a whole picture as to you know be able to uh, put myself in their shoes and take a bit of a walk around for a while yeah. uh, to really try and appreciate what they um, what they went through, uh, not just in the moment, but in the preceding the event, leading up to it and post as well. So everyone has their own process, but that's what's important to me. And yeah, just um, I try and exercise as much discernment as I can, and uh, but also rely on others to provide um, input and commentary that's important as well. 
Yeah, and that's one of my big things too with the Australian UFO sightings page. That when people want to go and share their experiences, there, like one of our key uh, requirements for posting to the page is like it has to have a date, a time, a time and place. You know, the location. Yep. Precisely. And then, like, you know, you're going to relive the whole, ex we expect you to, like, relive your whole experience. Like, what did the object do? Which way was it traveling? You know, what did it look like? You know, we want that, you yeah. want to, like, we want to be able to, like, witness it how you witnessed it. Like, you know, live in your shoes, like you said, you know, and, like, we want to be able you to You can go never have too much information. The more right. information you're able to collect but on, people just want to go on, like, go, oh, I see something weird. Take a photo, go, oh, this is what I saw over here, and blah, blah, blah. And that's it. And it's yeah. like, well, okay, what's the rest of it, though? Like, why are you claiming yeah. this as a UFO? And, you know, the more information that people can, can provide for their footage and claims of a suspected UFO or UAP is detailed. You know, the, the, it gives you more credibility to your encounter. Yeah, and exactly. What, um, 100% agree. One of the things I like having people on the show here, like, you know, because people will, will talk about their experiences, it has the time and location, and they're reliving their story. And hopefully when people relive their stories and you get in that sort of detail there, other people get encouraged in talking more about their own encounters and stuff, which then helps the UFO community even more because people want to keep talking about it. Yep. So, you know, 100%. the more yep. people talk about it, the better it's going to outcome, hopefully, uh, in the future. And, and you know, you can you can ask questions and do it in a, a way that's respectful of the individual that's sharing their experience. Um, it's not about me believing you or not believing you. It's about, you know, presenting uh, the information that was available to you during pre-post and me digesting that information and, um, you, you know, drawing my own conclusions as to, wow, that sounds like it was really something that was quite extraordinary, you know, um, if there's opportunities for you to, the, the individual that experienced that event to dig further or try and seek information from other individuals that may yeah. have also experienced the same thing, great. So, you know, it's not my experience, it's their experience, but I can certainly try and, um, you know, ask questions that will help me better um, assess um, to my own satisfaction, you know, what it is they're sharing with me so I can draw my own conclusions. It's not about, um, you know, if I believe you or if I don't believe you. Um, you know, I, I, I've had many conversations with folks that have seen something that they can't explain. Um, you know, it's not, it's not my job to judge what they've... Uh, uh, you know, experienced, uh, I can just, all I can do is hear what they've got to say. And then, you know, mm. what I do with that information is entirely up to me. It's not my job to then make a recommendation or say, I believe you, I don't believe you. I think, thank you for sharing that with me. If it's important to you, you know, um, be great if you could, you know, seek more information. Yeah, absolutely. So um, now we're just going back through the comments here. Oh, Triffin's there joined the comments. I don't know if he's still here now or not, but he's... Um, I, may have to, um, I may have to run my friend shortly because I think my little one is calling for me again. So. That's all right, mate. I wasn't going to hold you much longer there, mate, because just going to quickly throw a couple of questions at you. Um, so uh, Triffin has jumped in there going, is there any particular footage evidence that has come out of recently that people should pay attention to? Um, look, not that I'm aware. I mean, look, Sorry. it's 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 great that folks are asking questions about the jellyfish footage that Jeremy Corbell's put out, about the chandelier footage, you know. Um, I mean, I think, you know, the gimbal footage is still one that is not fully resolved to this day. I mean, I think, you know, NASA tried to um, reach a conclusion on gimbal, but my understanding is they didn't take into account the, the wind speed uh, for the gimbal event. So, you know, gimbal is one that I think there's still some um, 
some unanswered uh, answers uh, questions that haven't been answered. Um, but you know, I, I'm I leave it to um, more intelligent minds to uh, to do that work because I, uh, I I would be the the last person you would want to turn to 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 have a stab at um, the mathematics or the, uh, the 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 you know the the optics of a of some footage because it's just not, it's just up my my wheelhouse. But yeah, I, I, I certainly find the gimbal to be um, very interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think we we, um, we deserve the rest of the footage that's come from that too. Like you know, we only got a little snippet of it here. Yeah, I mean, there's a legend. It? Uh, it's rumored that there's another three, four minutes. You know, why has yeah. if if and if so, why hasn't that been released? Yeah, so. what's got that? What's that got to do with national security when you're already showing us the footage? Exactly, so. exactly. Yeah. Um, and a quick one, mate, before we finish up here, mate. Um, Glenn's got in the comments there. Um, can you? State your position on UAPs, uh, skeptic or believer that UAP exists, we're not alone. He's also uh, jumped in the comments there saying, uh, you have, if you are passive on the UAP issue, you have no right to be a commenter, commentator on it. So, yeah. Look, I, I will say that I think the I think UAP is a real phenomenon. I think there is a, it, there, is a there there to UAP. I think UAP, um, you know, can be attributed to misidentification, and in most cases it probably is. But I don't care about the 99% of UAP that are explainable as something that's prosaic or, or something that's misidentified. I care about the 1% that's truly anomalous that requires that deep dive investigation. And that's what we want from ARO is we want those 3% of cases that are anomalous uh, to have a conclusion reached as to what they are. And, and that was... You know, one of the reasons why the Royal Australian Air Force, they said, well, while they couldn't readily explain all reports of UAS, approximately 3% of the UAS cases it received, it couldn't explain. Despite that, it still decided that, oh, move along, folks, there's nothing to see here. We can't find any scientific or other compelling reason to continue to devote resources to the topic, uh, which I, I think was the wrong approach to take. So I, I think that the UAP phenomenon you know uap is a real phenomenon there is something to it um as to what uap is uh what its origin is um you know where it's from what it is when it's from they're questions that uh i find fascinating and i would love to uh you know get more clarity and answers on those questions over time so uh, i'm a very much an open book on what uap is but I certainly think there is a true phenomenon there. Yeah. I don't know, mate. I feel pretty attacked on that one because <laughs> I'm probably in that category as well. <laughs> oh, uh, look, mate, it's wonderful, mate. Look, mate, thank you very much for joining the show, mate. It's absolutely wonderful. And like all the best for your endeavors in the future, mate, trying to attack the uh, the parliaments and whatnots. Um, thank you, my friend. Uh, look, always, always enjoy having a chat with you. Thanks for having me on. Uh, look forward to having a chat again. And um, yeah, I appreciate just. Um, Sharing some thoughts with your with your audience. So so thanks again. Yeah, that's all right, mate. Look, well, um, look, you're obviously you're open to people contacting you and that, and you always got your own little podcast and that might uh, give yourself a blog, mate. Go for yeah, it. Yeah, sure. So if you want to follow me on um, X, you know, formerly Twitter, my handle's just at Grant Levac. Uh, I have a YouTube channel called The Unexplained Rundown. If you search for The Unexplained Rundown or just my name, you'll find my channel. It goes by the same name on Spotify as well, The Unexplained Rundown. So that's where um, I'm mostly engaged in conversation on Twitter. Uh, so feel free to follow me on there and you'll find links to my socials and stuff as well. So 
that's wonderful, mate. Thank you very much, mate. And um, yeah, look again, I'll get in touch with you and we'll try and um we'll see if we can organize some sort of you know, heavy hitting protest. <laughs> a peaceful yeah, keep you posted. Say. I'll uh, I'll be standing <laughs> alongside you with you. Cheers, mate. Look, hopefully others right. will be uh, backing us up on that. So mate, all the best, mate, and um talk to you soon. Thanks, Anthony. I appreciate it. Thanks, man. Cheers, mate. Bye for now. Ciao. And that will do it, folks, for this episode. I hope you enjoy the show. And don't forget, if you or someone you know has had an encounter, please get in touch with me to be featured on the podcast. If you're a fan of the show, you can support the podcast by purchasing some awesome merchandise that's available on our online store via the link provided in the episode description. So thanks for tuning in, and I look forward to seeing you on the next Encounter Down Under. Hooroo!